0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know if you know this about me. Uh, You might not be able to see it most of the time when you see me, because most of the time I'm wearing a collar. But I've got this scar on my neck. I think I've told some of y'all the story. I've got this scar on my neck, and it actually goes all the way back around my neck here, And I've gotten so used to telling this story, it's like a science, you know, I've got it down pat, that, um, you know, when you're young, you do foolish things. And uh, when I was in eighth grade or so, I had a four-wheeler, and we lived on about five acres, and I was driving around. All winter, my dad was, well, he had put up a perimeter fence, And then he was gonna put up a yard fence around the yard so the horses and everything couldn't get in there. Anyways, during the winter time, uh, the winter break from school, I was driving between the corner posts on my four-wheeler because, you know, it just fit just so well that I just made it through every time. And I kept doing it over and over and over again all December. And then uh, when the weather started to get a little bit warmer, My dad started to do the work on it that needed to be done. So you have the corner posts that are um, wood and then the T posts between the corners. I wouldn't drive between the T posts because I was too afraid I'd hit those. So I went between the wooden ones because it fit, right? And to make sure that the lines are straight, you got to make sure, you you have to have a string that goes across from corner to corner. So you can kind of see, well, that one's a little off. you got to knock it that way, tamp it that way. And that day, they were pulling the nylon string so tight it kept breaking. And so what they had to do was, like, if this is the corner post and this is the next one before you go off into the next corner, they would tie it on this one, tie it on the corner, tie it on that one again, and then go on to the next corner. So they had these two strings between these corner posts nylon strings it's like a tiny rope you know and I was with some friends and my dad was out in the pasture and it's like we were gonna go ask him something I can't even remember what it is now Uh, and we get in and and my friends very wisely took the gate (laughs) they went through the gate I didn't (laughs) I was like you know what last time I'm gonna be able to do this why not Go ahead and go, and I went through the corner posts, and I saw it. It was about, from, it was, I, by the time I saw it, it was from where I am right now to the edge of the pulpit here. I saw it there, and I just squeezed on the brakes, tried to turn, and knew that I would crash if, you know, all the things that go through your head really, really, really quick, you know. And needless to say, it knocked me off, it caught me on the neck. I had on a helmet, though, that had a face shield on it. So thankfully, you know, there wasn't any damage there, but it caught me on the neck, and it threw me off the back, and the four-wheeler went on two wheels, because I tried to brake and turn at the same time, and went on two wheels, and then just kind of stopped and stayed where it was. But I was on the ground, wind knocked out of me, not knowing exactly what is going on as far as how badly hurt I am. and. Uh, my dad comes rushing over, and he is livid. Because the guys who are working on the fence, he thought that I went through the gate. He said, I told you not to put a line over the gate. And they said, we didn't. <laughs> and so later on, I had to explain to him that I was you know, foolish enough to do what I did. But he was in such a, a frenzy. He wanted to get me to the hospital quick. Right? My mom was off somewhere in the house, and so when my dad comes in and says, get in the car, we're going to the hospital, she's freaking out not knowing what's going on. And, I mean, it was one of those times where things were pretty scary. It was one of those times where it was really a miracle what happened. But before I get to that point, I want to tell you more about my dad's response my dad said we're not going to a clinic down the street we're not going to go to some place that's just like that's not the best he said i'm taking him down to texas children's in you know downtown Houston medical center so we're in the car waiting and i'm just trying to keep my neck still and all this stuff And we get there and we see the doctors, we do x-rays, we do all these things, thanks be to God, no internal damage, no real bleeding because with, with the nylon string, because it's like a rope. It's like a rope burn. So it cauterized the skin as it cut. So there was no blood, really. Nothing deeper than a flesh wound. All they gave me was a tetanus shot, and they cleaned out the little notch that was in my neck with polysporin and a Q-tip. And that hurt pretty bad. But I say this story because as a kid, you see the lengths that your dad will go to take care of you. Reminded me of this story from John chapter 4. That this official comes to Jesus, and he asks him to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, the beautiful thing about John's gospel is that there is some ambiguity in how he writes. And it's great, because it has a lot of nuances you can take a different view on depending on where you are, right? You can look at this text and you can see, well, that a lot of people who have read this text throughout the ages have been really hard on this dad. They've been really, really hard on him because they see it as him coming to Jesus as the last last possible option that could help his son. It doesn't say it in the text, but people have read into this saying he's probably gone to these people, to a healer, to someone who knows how to take care of his son, and he's got nowhere else to turn, so he figures, well, I've heard that Jesus heals people, maybe he can help, right? And they're very hard on him because they say, well, if he had true faith, he would go to Jesus first, right? Not knowing that when you're in that situation, desperate for your child's sake, when you're in that situation, you're not really thinking clearly. You're just thinking, I need to help them the best way that I can. And in some sense, faith goes out the window. Right? It's a scary prospect. Death is Scary. And it's what Satan always uses against us all the time. The fear of death. And so we lose our faith, as it were, in a sense. Momentarily, right? We become of small faith at that time. We don't really know who this man is. We know he's an official. He's an important person in the eyes of the world. And he comes to Jesus desperate. And in some sense, I can't fault this guy for being desperate and thinking Jesus is my only hope. Because if faith is not desperate on some level, I don't know what it is. Right? And Jesus says something funny to him. (laughs) He doesn't say, lead the way, I'll come to you. Take me to him, I will heal him. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Again, John is ambiguous here in how he crafts his text because different people have seen this in different ways. On one hand, it sounds very harsh. And that's the the first kind of reading that people have of this. They say, Jesus is rebuking this man, saying, you're coming to me. I know that you're coming to me as a last resort. You're coming to me. And I tell you, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. You won't believe. Right? You can kind of hear it in his voice there. But the official says to him, and that's probably how the official heard it too, right? The official says, sir, come down before my child dies, please. And this is a rare thing um, with our translations here, but I got I to have a little uh, scruple here with the translation. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. But really, that's not a future tense. It's a present tense. He literally says, go, your son lives presently. Again, you can read that in a certain way. Because Jesus could be telling him on some level, go, your son lives for right now, but he could be dead tomorrow. Hurry, hurry, go home. Spend your last moments with him before he dies. Right? Or, it could mean, go, your son lives and will continue to live. So, this man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way, right? What exactly he believed, we don't know. And that's the beauty of John's gospel here. There's a lot of things that are up in the air, especially when it comes to faith. That we are given a certain word of God that says a certain thing, And we had to trust him, even though it's not meeting the conditions that we would like to have set, right? That on some level, this man is coming to Jesus and saying, help my son, come down, be in his presence. You need to be there with him to heal him. He wants to believe, but on his own conditions. So Jesus flips the script on him and says these things That unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And go, your son lives. That as this man is going, who knows what kind of torment he felt? Who knows what kind of doubt he struggled with? Who knows the kind of faith that he was wrestling with, because on some level, I mean, we believe what the word of God says, that this man believed the word that Jesus spoke. How strongly? I don't know. It's not really for us to know. But he believed, and he went. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, not that his son was was recovering, but they said, your son lives. They said exactly what Jesus said to him, your son lives. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better and they said to them, and they said to him, yesterday at the, at the seventh hour, it's about one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever had left him. And the father knew that the, that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son lives and he himself believed and all his household and all of this is to say that this man and this brief view of his ordeal this quick glimpse into this trying time of his life is a snapshot reality of what the Christian life is supposed to be about It's a snapshot view of the life of a disciple of Christ. That we come to Jesus because we have heard wonderful things that he has done. And we say, Lord, help me. Please help me. I'm in dire straits. And he tells us, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And in some sense, that is a comment on our sinfulness and how we are so quickly to despair. But in another sense, he says, I know that you will not believe until you see these things. So I tell you what, I'm going to do it for you so that you will believe. He knows how weak we are. He knows that we need these signs to point us in the right direction, right? But he doesn't just do any kind of sign. He's very specific. Go, your Son lives. That is the sign. That is the sign that we hold on to. That the Son of God lives. That He has died for you. That He has shed His blood for you, and He laid in the tomb for you, but He didn't stay in the tomb. The sign and the wonder is that Jesus Christ did not stay dead, but he rose from the grave to proclaim to you victory over death. So that when you're on the way throughout life with this word of God, with this word of Christ that says the son lives, that you will go and trust in that word, that you will go and with every time that Satan tries to make you drift off the path, every time that Satan might get you to despair of God's promise, you hold on to that. The Son lives. The Son of God lives on high for you. So that when you reach the end, and I'm not just talking about death, I'm talking about that last day when Christ comes back to judge us, righteous, those who trust in him, that we will see our faith confirmed once and for all, that we will see for sure the Son lives, and that he has come back for you to show you that your faith was not in vain to show you that his word is trustworthy. And in the meantime, until that last day, until he comes, he still gives us signs and wonders. Because we're weak, and because we need them. He gives us his word, not only that, he gives us his holy baptism, where he washes us, And he says, You are now bound to me. My righteousness clothes you. You are a child of God now. That you can look to the font and you can say, I'm a baptized child of God. He performed that sign and that wonder on me, and I didn't even deserve it. He gives us the sign of the bread. And the wine, the body and the blood of Christ to point to and say, that's where he meets me. This is where heaven comes down to meet earth. This is where our Lord Jesus Christ comes and dines with us, feeds us his body and his blood so that we would know and believe that he is good. So good that he died for us and that he lives on high for us today. So with these things, with the word, with the sacraments, with these signs, Excuse me, with these signs, and with these, these these wonders, we believe, we trust in him and This faith, this trust ought to be passed down to our whole household, as this man did. He himself believed, and all his household. That from that, he shared this wonderful truth with those he loved. He shared with them what it is that Christ had done for him, and therefore what he does for all of them, by extension. And I pray that we would do the same, that we would go forth and we would share with our whole household, we would share with our family, share with our friends, that the Son lives because He died for you, and He now lives on high for you as well, so that you would know His love. That the Son lives, and so do all those who trust in Him. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.